I'm Pastor Brian Oberg, and I'm so uh, thankful that you have joined us for the Easter service here at Bethel. Several weeks ago, when COVID-19 broke upon us, I thought about Jesus' closest friend, or at least one of his closest friends, Lazarus. Uh, his sisters, Mary and Martha, were very much in a situation like so many people around the world today. Lazarus, their brother, had become sick, and the sickness became life-threatening. And so they sent for the greatest healer they knew, Jesus, and they were obviously very hopeful that their brother was going to recover. But it was not to be. Jesus delayed, Lazarus died, and Mary and Martha were crushed with grief. They were heartbroken. 102,693 families around the world know how Martha and Mary felt. Those are the worldwide deaths so far. 18,725 families in the U.S. know how Martha and Mary felt. Those are the U.S. deaths so far. And 1,281 Michigan families know how Mary and Martha felt. Those are the Michigan deaths so far. And many people today would very obviously have the question, what now? What hope can there finally be for us after such tragic and unexpected deaths? Well, the raising of Lazarus was the climactic miracle in Jesus' earthly ministry. It was his greatest wonder. Jesus had raised others from the dead, but Lazarus had been dead for four days. And as we look at John chapter 11, we ask this question. What is the major truth involved in the raising of Lazarus? And it really is very simple. Jesus gives hope of life after death. That's what that miracle is designed to teach us. Jesus gives the hope of life after death. Somebody has well said, if Jesus Christ can do nothing about death, whatever else he can do amounts to nothing. And that is absolutely true. But Jesus has wonderfully done something about death. And that's what Easter Sunday morning is all about. What Jesus does in this miracle in John 11 is he invites us to trust him for hope beyond the grave. Now, there are many, many lessons in this chapter that give to us wonderful, wonderful hope as believers, but there are two that are very pertinent for us on Easter Sunday morning, 2020. And so I invite you, if you have a Bible near you, to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And I want to begin with this first lesson. It's a lesson about sickness and death. And that lesson for us as believers is this. In sickness and death, God has a purpose. Listen, starting with me at verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
You know, it's hard for us to see anything positive in illness, hardship, and trial and difficulty. A little bit later in the chapter, both sisters will complain to Jesus with the same words. Lord, if you had been here, they say, my brother would not have died. And what they were saying is nothing good has come from this sickness. If only you had come and healed our brother, life would be so much better. You see, we normally see these things as standing in the way of our happiness. We see them as ruining and destroying the plans and goals of our lives. But think about this. Had Lazarus not become sick, Jesus would not have performed his greatest miracle. You see, God had a far bigger plan for Lazarus than anyone knew. But here's the interesting thing. That plan included sickness. This explains why Jesus waited two days longer before going to Bethany. Bethany was only about 20 miles from where Jesus was at. He could have easily reached it in one day. And so we ask the question, why did Jesus wait? Well, here's the answer. Jesus waited because he saw this as an opportunity to bring glory to God and to bring glory to himself as the God-man. You see, raising a dead man is far greater than healing a sick one. And raising a man dead for four days was an undeniable miracle that glorified God and glorified Jesus as the God-man. One of the questions that all of us need to ask ourselves is what is involved in glorifying God? Well, the Bible teaches us that God's glory is his nature. It's his character. It's his attributes. His glory is the sum total of all of his perfections. And whenever God's nature is put on display, it brings him glory. Charles Ryrie, who authored the notes in the Ryrie Study Bible, used to say, glorifying God is showing him off. And I think that's one of the greatest definitions I've ever heard. When God is shown off, when we show him off, he is glorified. And Lazarus' sickness and his death gave Jesus the chance to show off God's life-giving power over death and Jesus' life-giving power over death as the God-man. Many years ago, Pastor Warren Wearsby made a statement that I think all of us, when we hear it, immediately say, I agree with that statement. And here's what he said. He said, it's not important that we are comfortable, but it is important that we glorify God in all that we do. And as we hear a statement like that, as believers, we say to ourselves, well, I want to be comfortable I want to be safe and well and my family and my friends, but there's something deep within us that says beyond all of that, my greatest desire in all that I do is to glorify God. I think all of us have noticed that sometimes God gets the greatest glory in the midst of our problems and our troubles. We've seen that so recently in the life of Jack Brown. Last Saturday morning, I prayed for him in our taped service. And if you listened to the service on Sunday, you heard that prayer. And you may have assumed that Jack was still alive. Uh, 
But actually, very sadly, he died just less than two hours after I prayed. He was weak, he was weary, and he was in trying circumstances. And his death has been a hard loss for his dear wife and family, especially after having him after so many years of life and vibrancy. Yet the tributes that have come in have brought glory to the God and to the Savior that Jack loved. One man said to me, he was a spiritual father to me, and he's not the only one that feels that way. Another man wrote, he was such an inspiration to me. Uh, the day before he died, I had the privilege of kneeling down at his sick bed, and he reached up and he stroked my face. It's the only time that that's ever happened to me. And I knew the reason he stroked my face is because he loved me dearly. And I had the privilege of thanking Jack for being that friend who sticks closer than a brother to me. You see, whatever God permits can become a vehicle by which we show off his glory if we are the objects of his love. Uh, right now in our world, it's a time of sickness, a time of difficulty, uncertainty, and certainly death for many, many people. But what God wants to do is he wants to glorify himself through all of this by working in the lives of his people. And just like Lazarus, he has a plan for us that is far greater than we may understand. I want you to think about this. Here was Lazarus with a fatal illness, the very thing that he did not want. Yet through this one negative thing, the worst thing in Lazarus' life, God received more glory than all of the other things in Lazarus' life combined. Here we are, Easter 2020, and we are still talking about the thing that Jesus did in the life of Lazarus because he had become sick. That leads to a very important question for all of us. What will people still be talking about years from now that God did for you because of some affliction that came your way. Isn't that ultimately the purpose of life? That people will talk about God because of what he was doing in your life and in my life. Well, there's a second lesson in this miracle that I want to draw to our attention, and it is a lesson about resurrection life. Let's drop down to verse 17 and let me read as we pick up the narrative when Jesus arrived. Here's what the Bible says. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again, but that's at the resurrection. It's on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, what Jesus said here introduces us to the fifth I am statement in John's gospel. Seven times in this gospel, Jesus claims an attribute of God by saying, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And now here, I am the resurrection and the life. In this great I am statement, our Lord completely transformed the doctrine of resurrection. In fact, the fullest teaching you will find anywhere in the Bible on resurrection life comes right here from the lips of our Lord. Let's just take a moment to look at what he teaches us that we know we have because Jesus died and rose again for us. Number one, Jesus tells us that resurrection life comes from a person. Notice that Jesus did not say, I give you resurrection and life. He certainly could have said that. But what did he say? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, resurrection life is bound up with his person. It is received only from him and him alone. The Bible teaches us this, if anyone be in Christ, that person is a new creation. And here's what happens when we repent of our sins, turn from our own way, and turn to the Lord Jesus, resting our faith in his death and resurrection alone. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is sent into our hearts. He brings with him the very life of God, a new quality of life. And he transforms us and unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ so that in him, we are now spiritually alive to the things of God. The second thing that Jesus teaches us here is that resurrection life includes the physical body. When Jesus says in verse 25, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, that future tense shall live refers to the raising of our bodies when Jesus returns for us as believers. Here's what the Bible says, at death for the Christian, our soul is separated from our body and it goes back to the God who gave it in heaven and our bodies are laid in the grave. But that's not the end. There is coming a great day of resurrection for everyone. But for believers, the Bible says that is a resurrection unto life. And here's what happens. Jesus will call forth our bodies from the grave. He will wonderfully transform us in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, reunite us with our souls from heaven, and in a glorified body and soul, we will forever live in fellowship with the Lord. You know, I had the privilege as a son of being with both of my parents on the day that they took their last breath. And when you are a Christian, that is a very sacred moment. On the outside, I was crying rivers of tears because I loved them so much. 
But on the inside, there were rivers of joy flowing up within me because I knew their spirits had gone back to be with the Lord. And as we laid them in the grave, I knew this was not the end, but a great day of resurrection was coming in which they would be called forth from the grave, transformed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, reunited with their soul, and for all eternity live in glorious fellowship with the Lord. And I would join them someday because I'm a believer as well. As we had their funerals, I knew that we were not saying to them goodbye, but see you later. The third thing that Jesus teaches us here is that resurrection life starts in the present. It starts in the present. In verse 26, he says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And Jesus here is talking about spiritual life, the life of God that we receive the moment that we believe. Now, death in the Bible means separation. And the Bible says there are three types of death. There's physical death, which is the separation of the body from the soul. There is spiritual death. That's the separation of the person, both body and soul, from God in this life because of sin. And then there's eternal death. Separation of both body and soul from God forever in the lake of fire. Here's what the Bible teaches. If we die physically while we are spiritually dead, we will be eternally dead, separated from God forever in a place the Bible calls hell. But when Jesus says here, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die, he means spiritually and eternally. Since he died for our sins on Good Friday, he has the authority to forgive us. And since he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, he has the power to transform us with resurrection life from God himself. And so what he does is when we believe, he takes away spiritual death and eternal death, and he replaces it with spiritual life. So when as a believer, when we die physically, we continue to live spiritually, only not on earth, but in heaven, in that wonderful intimate fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One person has so wonderfully put our hope this way. Death for believers is not a change of relationship. It's only a change of location. Isn't that a wonderful truth we rejoice in today? Death for believers is not a change of relationship. It is only a change of location. You know, one of the greatest summaries of our Christian faith is found in the Heidelberg Catechism that was written many, many years ago. And that catechism begins with a very famous question, what is your only comfort in life and death? And don't you think that is really the most, in question, most important question of all? For if we have not settled our answer to that question and where we stand with the issues involved, we're not even ready to live. And certainly, if we do not know what our comfort in life and death is, we are not ready to die. But if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, having experienced his forgiveness and his resurrection life, then we have settled the answer to that question. And we're able to affirm the answer that is given in that catechism to that great question. Here it is, and every believer understands it and has great confidence that I with body and soul, in life and in death, am not my own, 
But I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me and so preserves me that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready to live for Him. Do you have that assurance as you are watching today? If you don't, I would like to pray for you. And if you have any questions about whether you've experienced the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again to provide you, we would love to have you contact us here at Bethel Baptist Church in Marquette, Michigan. And whatever we can do to help you have that personal relationship with Christ and the assurance of your eternal destiny, we would love to help you. Let me pray for you now. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this wonderful weekend in which we celebrate the death of our Lord Jesus, knowing that his precious blood is satisfied for all of our sins, and therefore he has the authority to forgive us. And thank you that his glorious resurrection from the dead overcame sin, death, and hell. And therefore, he can transform us with resurrection life and give us the confidence that not only have we been made new by the Spirit of God, but someday we will experience that wonderful presence when the Lord calls us home to heaven and that great expectation of bodily resurrection and glorification and all eternity in the fellowship of the people of God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I pray for anybody watching today who may not be sure of where they stand with the Lord. Oh, Father, help them this day to turn from their own way and their own sins and come to the mercy of the Lord Jesus, calling upon Him by saving faith to grant them forgiveness, life, to make them children of God, and to make them new in their union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if they have any questions about this wonderful transaction that Jesus can accomplish, may they know we would love to help them. We love you, Lord, today, our risen, exalted, and coming again, Lord Jesus Christ.